Section seven of Anton Chekhov and other essays. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Anton Chekhov and other essays by Lev Shestov, translated by John Middleton Murray and Samuel Kotelyansky. Penultimate words. Part two the force of argument etc five the force of argument schopenhauer answered the question of the immortality of the soul in the negative in his opinion man as thing in himself is immortal but as phenomenon mortal in other words all that is individual in us exists only in the interval between birth and death but since each individual according to schopenhauer's teaching is a manifestation of will or thing in itself the unalterable and eternal principle which is the only reality of the world continually made object in the manifold of phenomena then in so far as this principle is displayed in man he is eternal this is schopenhauer's opinion evidently derived as a logical conclusion from his general philosophic doctrine both from that relating to the thing in itself and from that which relates to the individual the first part shall go unregarded after all if schopenhauer was mistaken and the thing in itself is mortal we need not weep over it nor is there any cause to rejoice over its immortality but here is the individual he is deprived of his right to immortality and for reason is alleged an argument which is at first sight irrefutable everything which has a beginning has an end also says schopenhauer the individual has a beginning birth therefore an end death awaits him to schopenhauer himself the general proposition as well as the conclusion seemed so obvious that he did not admit the possibility of mistake even for a moment but this time we have an incontestable case of a wrong conclusion from a wrong premise first why must everything which has a beginning also have an end the observations of experience point to such a hypothesis but are the observations of experience really strong enough to support general propositions and are we really entitled to make use of propositions so acquired as first principles for the solution of the most important problems of philosophy and even if we admit that the premise is correct nevertheless the conclusion at which schopenhauer arrived is wrongly drawn it may indeed be that everything which has a beginning also has an end it may indeed be that the individual is sooner or later doomed to perish but why identify the moment of the soul's destruction with the death of the body it may be that the body will die but the soul which the same fate attends at some future time will find for itself a more or less suitable integument somewhere in a distant planet perhaps still unknown to us and live on though only for a little while but not for all eternity as the extreme optimists believe how important would it be for poor humanity to retain even such a hope 
particularly seen that we can hardly say with certainty what it is that men desire when they speak of the immortality of the soul is it that they merely desire at all costs to live eternally or would they be satisfied with one or two lives more especially if the subsequent lives should appear to be less offensively insignificant than this earthly existence wherein even the lowest rank of nobility is to many an unattainable goal it seems to me that it is not every one who would consent to live eternally and what if every possibility should have been exhausted and endless repetition should begin it does not of course follow from this that we have the right to reckon upon an existence beyond the grave the question remains open as before even when schopenhauer's arguments have been refuted but it does follow that the best arguments on clear consideration often appear worthless quod erat demonstratum naturally pending the discovery of arguments to refute my refutation of schopenhauer's i make this reserve to deprive my critics of the pleasure and possibility of a little word-play six swan songs it cannot be doubted that when we dead awake is one of the most autobiographical of ibsen's plays nearly all his dramas reveal striking traces of his personal experience their most valuable quality even is the possibility of following out in them the history of the author's inward struggle but there is a particular significance in when we dead awake which comes from the fact that it was conceived and written by the author in his old age those who are interested in overhearing what is said and watching what is done on the outskirts of life set an extraordinary value on the opportunity of communing with very old men with the dying and generally with men who are placed in exceptional conditions above all when they are not afraid to speak the truth and have by past experience developed in themselves the art and the courage the former is as necessary as the latter to look straight in the eye of reality to such men ibsen seems even more interesting than tolstoy tolstoy indeed has not yet betrayed his gift but he is primarily a moralist now as in his youth power over men is the dearest thing of all to him and more fascinating than all the other blessings of the world he still gives orders makes demands and desires at all costs to be obeyed one may and one ought to consider this peculiarity of tolstoy's nature with attention and respect not tolstoy alone but many a great hermit of thought has to the end of his life demanded the unconditional surrender of mankind on the day of his death an hour before end socrates taught that there was only one truth and that the one which he had discovered plato in his extreme old age journeyed to syracuse to plant the seeds of wisdom there it is probable that such stubbornness in great men has its explanation and its deep meaning tolstoy and also socrates and plato and the jewish prophets who in this respect and in many others were very like the teachers of wisdom probably had to concentrate their powers wholly upon one gigantic inward task 
the condition of its successful performance being the illusion that the whole world the whole universe works in concert and unison with them in tolstoy's case i have elsewhere shown that he finds himself at present on the brink of solipsism in his conception of the world tolstoy and the whole world are to him synonymous without such a temporary delusion of his whole being it is not an intellectual delusion of the head for the head knows well that the world is by itself and tolstoy by himself he would have to give up his most important work so it is with us who know since copernicus that the earth moves round the sun that the stars are not clear bright golden rings but huge lumps of various composition that there is not a firm blue vault overhead we know these things nevertheless we cannot and do not want to be so blind as to not take delight in the lie of the optical illusions of the visible world truth so called has but a limited value nor does the sacrifice of galileo by any means refute my words Ipur Simov, if ever he uttered the phrase might not have referred to the movement of the earth though it was spoken of the earth galileo did not wish to betray the work of his life who will however stand surety for us that not only galileo is capable of such sacrifice but his pupil also even the most devoted and courageous who has gained the new truth not by his own struggle but from the lips of his master peter in one night thrice denied christ probably we could not find a single man in all the world who would consent to die to demonstrate and defend the idea of galileo evidently great men are very little inclined to initiate the outsider into the secret of their great deeds evidently they cannot themselves always give a clear account of the character and meaning of the tasks which they set themselves socrates himself who all his life long so stubbornly sought clarity and invented dialectics for the purpose and introduced into general use definitions designed to fix the flowing reality socrates who spent thirty days without interruption in persuading his pupils that he was dying for the sake of truth and justice socrates himself i say perhaps most probably even knew as little why he was dying as do simple people who die a natural death or as babes born into the world know by what beneficent or hostile power they have been summoned from non-entity into being such is our life wise men and fools old men and children march at random to goals which have not yet been revealed by any books whether worldly or spiritual common or sacred it is by no means with the desire to bring dogmatism into contempt that i recall these considerations i have always been convinced and am still certain that dogmatists feel no shame and are by no means to be driven out of life besides i have lately come to the conclusion that the dogmatists are perfectly justified in their stubbornness belief and the need of belief are strong as love as death 
in the case of every dogmatist i now consider it my sacred duty to concede everything in advance even to the acknowledgment of the least the least significant shades of his convictions and beliefs there is but one limitation only one imperceptible and almost invisible the dogmatist's convictions are not to be absolutely and universally binding that is not binding upon the whole of mankind without exception the majority the vast majority millions even tens of millions of people i will readily allow him on the understanding that they themselves desire it or that he will show himself skilful enough to entice them to his side violence is surely not to be admitted in matters of belief in a word i allow him almost the whole of mankind in consideration whereof he must agree that his convictions are not intrinsically binding upon the few units or tens that remain i agree to an outward submission and the dogmatist after such a victory my confession is surely a complete victory for him must consider himself satisfied in full socrates was right plato tolstoy the prophets were right there is only one truth one god truth has the right to destroy lie light to destroy darkness god omniscient most gracious and omnipotent will like alexander the macedon conquer nearly all the known world and will drive out from his possessions amid the triumphant and delighted souls of the millions of loyal subjects the devil and all those who are disobedient to his divine word but he will renounce his claim to power over the souls of his few opponents according to the agreement and a handful of apostates will gather together on a remote isle invisible to the millions and will there continue their free peculiar life and here to return to the beginning among these few disobedient will be found ibsen as he was in the last years of his life as he is seen in his last drama for in when we dead awaken ibsen approves and glorifies that which gogol actually did fifty years ago he renounces his art and with hatred and mockery recalls to mind what was once the business of his life on april fifteenth eighteen sixty six ibsen wrote to king karl i am not fighting for a careless existence i am fighting for the work of my life in which i unflinchingly believe and which i know god has given me to do by the way you will hardly find one of the great workers who has not repeated this assertion of ibsen's whether in the same or in another form evidently without such an illusion temporary or permanent one cannot compass the intense struggle and sacrifices which are the price of great work evidently illusions of various kinds are necessary even for success in small things in order that a little man should fulfil his microscopical work he too must strain his little forces to the extreme and who knows whether it did not seem to akaky akakievich that god had assigned to him the task of copying the papers of the office and having a new uniform made of course he would never dare to say so 
and he would never be able to first because of his timidity and then because he has not the gift of expression the muses do not bring their tribute to the poor and weak they sing only croesus and caesar but there is no doubt that the first in the village consider themselves as plainly designated by fate as the first in rome caesar felt this and not mere ambition alone spoke in him when he uttered the famous phrase men do not believe in themselves and always yearn to occupy a position wherein the certainty whether justified or mistaken may spring up within them that they stand in the sight of god but with years all illusions vanish and among them the illusion that god chooses certain men for his particular purposes and puts on them particular charges gogol who had thus long understood his task as an author burnt his best work before his death ibsen did the same in the person of professor rubeck he renounces his literary activity and jeers at it though it had brought him everything he could have expected from it fame respect riches and think why because he had to sacrifice the man in him for the sake of the artist to give up irene whom he loved to marry a woman to whom he was indifferent did ibsen at the end of his life clearly discover that god had appointed him the task of being a male but all men are males while only individuals are artists had this been said not by ibsen but by a common mortal he would call it the greatest vulgarity on the lips of ibsen an old man of seventy years the author of brand from which the divines of europe draw the matter for their sermons on the lips of ibsen who wrote emperor and galilean such a confession acquires an unexpected and mysterious meaning here you cannot escape with a shake of the head and a contemptuous smile not anybody but ibsen himself speaks the first not in the village not in rome even but in the world here surely is the human law at work forswear not the prison nor the beggar's wallet perhaps it is opportune to recall the swan songs of turgenev turgenev too had high ideals which he probably thought he had received direct from god we may with assurance put into the mouth of brand himself the phrase with which his remarkable essay hamlet and don quixote concludes everything passes good deeds remain in these words is the whole turgenev or better the whole conscious turgenev of that period of his life to which the essay belongs and not only in that period but up to the last minutes of his life the conscious turgenev would not recant those words but in the prose poems an utterly different motive is heard all that he there relates and all that ibsen tells in his last drama is permeated with one infinite inexhaustible anguish for a life wasted in vain for a life which had been spent in preaching good yet neither youth nor health nor the powers that fail are regretted perhaps even death has no terrors 
what the old turgenev cannot away with are his memories of the russian girl he described and sang her as no one in russian literature before him but she was to him only an ideal he like rubik had not touched her ibsen had not touched irene he went off to madame viardo and this is an awful sin in no wise to be atoned a mortal sin the sin of which the bible speaks all things will be forgiven all things pass all things will be forgotten this crime will remain for ever that is the meaning of turgenev's senilia that is the meaning of ibsen's senilia i have deliberately chosen the word senilia though i might have said swan songs though it would even have been more correct to speak of swan songs swans says plato when they feel the approach of death sing that day better than ever rejoicing that they will find god whom they serve ibsen and turgenev served the same god as the swans according to the greek belief the bright god of songs apollo and their last songs their senilia were better than all that had gone before in them is a bottomless depth awful to the eye but how wonderful there all things are different from what they are with us on the surface should one hearken to the temptation and go to the call of the great old men or should he tie himself to the mast of conviction verified by the experience of mankind and cover his ears as once the crafty ulysses did to save himself from the sirens there is a way of escape there is a word which will destroy the enchantment i have already uttered it senilia turgenev wished to call his prose poems by this name manifestations of sickness of infirmity of old age these are terrible one must run away from these schopenhauer the philosopher and metaphysician feared to revise the works of his youth in his old age he felt that he would spoil them by his mere touch and all men mistrust old age all share schopenhauer's apprehensions but what if all are mistaken what if senilia bring us nearer to the truth perhaps the soothsaying birds of apollo grieve in unearthly anguish for another existence perhaps their fear is not of death but of life perhaps in turgenev's poems as well as in ibsen's last drama are already heard if not the last then at least the penultimate words of mankind end of section seven